Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. Thanks, guys. We are uh, actually here to stand for you guys, but thank you. Um, We have a lot to share. I feel like I could give 30 sermons right now, and Steph could give 50 on what the Lord has taught us, but what we want to do today is, is say thank you. Um, that's why we're here, so. Um, the kids probably aren't going to say anything, although they have a lot to say, but I mean, what kid really wants to talk on a mic? Um, but I'm going to let Steph share first. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I guess the first um, thing that... Um, we just want to say thank you for is just um, that you guys, each and every one of you, um, you know, that walk through this with us and everything, but specifically for just this community of believers and the way that you guys, each of you went straight to the Father. Like, you really went to him on our behalf. And I don't know how you can put into words to say thank you for that. Um, But for me, with all of this, that was the most beautiful thing that I could ever, like, imagine is to see babies on their knees and people who have never even spoken to the Lord speak to him on our behalf. And um, that's our deepest desire, is that we would always go to him, that we would know that he is with us in the worst situations. And um, I mean, our house, our family, the hours that some of you guys spent doing really horrible things like painting. God, I hate painting. (laughs) (laughs) And looking on the internet for whatever, just so many things for us. And um, this morning I woke up and I'm like, did you know there's new smoke detectors in our house? <laughs> that used to go off like every hour in the middle of the night and scare the hell, you know, stuff out of us. I do have a really bad mouth. I'm sure you've all realized that at this point, but anyway. <laughs> um, and the last thing that um, I just, well, I'll leave with you laughing at the end, but um, <laughs> When this, well, it's been a really bad year, but when it got really, really bad and we didn't know if we were going to be able to say I love you anymore here on earth and that kind of stuff, the horrible stuff, I remember um, sitting in Boog's room pleading that the Lord would be carrying him through all of it. And I had this really specific picture of the Lord holding Boogie weak and crippled and just 
not able to breathe. And as I've looked back on that time, I've asked Bill if he ever felt like he was being held, and he's like, no, not really. <laughs> and I was like, really? Really have this really beautiful picture. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and I realized that the Lord was trying to tell me, like, no, 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 I was holding you. Like, I was really with you and holding you through all of that. You were the person that was completely weak and crippled and didn't think you could get through doing this with your family. And we are all going to be in a situation like that where we need to be held and that we feel like we cannot do anything anymore. But I really believe that the Lord specifically called each of you to be those kind of people that kind of hold us up when we can't do it. That's, that's the holding. It's the people that love him and serve him. And um, so thanks for holding us up and for being that vision. I'll share the other funny story another time. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys, you want to say something before I close it up? Good. Um, so I saw Drew this morning. He's like, dude, I didn't even know you were going to be here. But the songs, um, the songs mean more to us now. And he chose beautiful songs. You know, I look at this song right here, and just that line alone, I lean not on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven. And, um, you know, in Proverbs 3, that's, that's one of my life verses. And it means a lot more now. And um, I know this was a confusing time for many people. And what we do is, is understand um, that our life is in the hands of the maker. And, like, he's taught us so much. And most of what he's really put inside of me that I, that I needed more of was to understand what it is to be loved. And I woke up uh, at one point in the hospital and, and Stephanie was holding me. And um, God made it clear, these are my arms that are holding you. You're loved. And he was loving me through her. And then to see everything that you, and then as it, things started trickling through and I started hearing what you were doing and sacrificing for us it was just overwhelming. And it was what I needed to learn because I needed to feel that love. We all struggle with what does it mean to be loved? Am I worthy to be loved? And I, the notes, the texts, the letters, um, the pictures of people at our house, uh, getting it ready so that the doctors would even agree to do the transplant. Um, and I know many of you struggle going, why is this happening? And I can tell you with all confidence and certainty that my faith was even stronger during that time than it ever was before. We talk about the beautiful ugly. We talked about that in November. We know more of what that means. Yeah, this was ugly. This was not fun. My chest is killing me right now. But 
this is beautiful. And to hear how God was moving in your lives is what we want to focus on. We, it's weird coming here and everyone's staring at us and clapping at us. I didn't do anything. <laughs> I just sat there. I didn't come back. I didn't do it. God is doing what he's doing for his purposes, and we lean not on our understanding, but we trust that our life, your life, is in his hands. See, I told you I couldn't help myself. I just wanted to say thank you, and then now I'm preaching. <laughs> I'm going to leave that to Esh for this morning. But um, I also have this list of stuff I'm supposed to say, so we'll do that at the end because um, we have a lot of stuff that we wanted to tell you guys just church family-wise, like Easter's next Sunday. You know that, right? <laughs> um, and we're going to do Good Friday today. I mean, next Friday. And so it'll be Friday, and then Easter's on Sunday. The, the Good Friday will be at the casino, and then Easter will be here. Um, but you have to have a Good Friday to understand Easter. Um, you have to understand that, that God was willing to die and that he was able to rise again. And so that's why we have the Friday and the Sunday, and that's why we do that together, because um, we need that. And then... Um, I'm excited for Easter because the Lord made it clear to me, and we prayed together, and I was like, I think I should come and teach on Easter, and this is when I could barely breathe, and, but I think what the Lord showed us about death and life, we're so excited to share, but again, the focus moving forward is guy beyond what the Lord has done and what he's doing in your lives, and he's taken this he, he put us through this, I believe, so that he can move. And it's all worth it. We, with all of our hearts, we believe this is all worth it so that people could understand how recklessly God loves them. God is in love with you. And I don't want to keep crying, so I'm going to pray for us. And um, uh, we'll invite Esha. Father God, your love is beyond all measure. And I pray that you would open us up to understand more and more about that love. We thank you for all that you give. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's some seats right here in the front. I saved one for the Rojas's. <laughs> hey, um... I know you all are as excited as I am to have Boog back. Um, what we just need to remember is that he needs sort of a wide berth, especially from people that have any, any kind of illness. Like if you're like, I got a little tickle in my throat, just, just be like, Boog's over there, be like, hey Boog, good to see you. And just keep it at that, that distance. Uh, it's really important that we do not get any kind of infection near him. Uh, and he knows that you love him dearly. And uh, as soon as it's, he's able, I'm sure those fist bumps and elbow bumps and hands, you know, that can all happen eventually. But please just respect, like, his space and give him the, you know, the finger guns and that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but uh, that'd, be, that'd be great. Uh, we do, I think we still have, there's four seats. If there's a family of four that needs, um, and you really want to sit in the front, Sometimes you get some of me, but there's some, still some seats up here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Mark, 
scroll, click, however you get there, to the book of Mark, chapter 8. And uh, today is Palm Sunday. We've been in this season of Lent, and this season we've decided to hold our questions, not discard them, but hold them, uh, in order to take some questions from Jesus that might provoke us to think differently about life. Uh, often we move through life with a lot of questions. Undoubtedly, a lot of you here are, are close to Boog and have been questioning why. Why has he and his family had to go through this? And uh, a lot of the time the answers don't come so quickly. And what we've tried to do in this season is just hold our questions and listen to what Jesus might be asking us and what he might teach us through those questions. Uh, this Palm Sunday, this is the day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, and it, it says in the scripture that everyone came out to see him. <laughs> um, this rabbi on a donkey rides into Jerusalem for what we would call like the Super Bowl of Jewish holidays. This is, this, is like the, this is like what we would think of as Christmas around here, you know, the boat parade, something like huge is about to happen this week, and Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, not on a war horse, not sitting in a chariot, but on a donkey, and uh, that causes me to ask some questions. Uh, but as I was thinking about what to talk about this morning, um, the question that kept coming to me was, do you see anything? Because we've been on this journey with Jesus through Lent, looking at the questions he's had to ask us, and I'm just wondering if you've seen anything along the way. Uh, do you see anything? And I took, actually, the questions from Mark chapter 7 and 8, and this isn't a general recommendation just to pull stuff out of the Bible all willy-nilly, as they say. Um, <laughs> they don't say that, but I like saying that. Uh, but just to pull things out of the scripture, but I, I thought, I wonder if we just looked at what are the questions that Jesus asks in Mark chapter 7 and 8. And so this is kind of fun, so I'm going to lead you through them here. Um, in Mark chapter 7, verse 18, the first one that I found was, are you so dull? And I don't know like how Jesus, like what kind of inflection he used when he asked this question. <laughs> Uh, and dull, in the, as I looked it up, is without understanding. Are you, so, are you so without understanding? And maybe he's just trying to get a gauge of where they're at, or he's kind of just sort of like, are you, are you really this thick? Are you really so dull? The next one is, don't you see that nothing that enters a person uh, from the outside can defile them? And then into chapter 8, verse 5, this is a, one that we did here. Uh, how many loaves do you have? And we talked about how in God's kingdom, everybody has enough and there's some left over. And then he says, why does this generation ask for a sign? And as we keep moving in, the fifth question, why are you talking about having no bread? I feel like maybe there's a little anger on this one. Jesus is in the boat and his disciples, uh, you know, he just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and they get in the boat and they're crossing and they're like, Oh, did you bring any bread? We didn't bring any bread. <laughs> Jesus, why are you talking about having no bread? Uh, and then he goes into like this litany of questions here. Like, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but you 
fail to hear? Uh, and don't you remember? And then these, these next two. When I, picked, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And then they answer him, yeah, lots and lots. And then uh, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? And then do you still not understand? So you, do you see anything? <laughs> it's just kind of interesting to take these questions in order. Like, are you, am I invisible here? <laughs> do you see anything? Do you still not get it? Do you still not understand? So in, in my mind, these were all spoken to different people at different places at different times. And, and I, th- I think like Jesus must either be really frustrated or he is very persistent and very patient with everyone. And I think it's probably the second thing. Do you still not understand? Let's keep going. Do you still not see? Let's keep going. You still don't get it. Okay. Let's keep going. Don't you remember? There's all these questions keep coming up again and again. So what I want to do this morning is get to the story that brings us to the question, do you see anything? And then I'm going to read from another book by C.S. Lewis, because that seemed to go over well. And uh, (laughs) I know how much you love stories. Uh, And then we're going to close and reflect a little bit on the question. Um, So first, let's read where our question comes from. Uh, What brings Jesus to say, do you see anything? But before uh, we go straight to that, I want to get a little backstory a little bit. It's, It's a familiar story because I don't want to just pull this out of nowhere, but, but earlier in chapter 8, what happens is uh, Jesus finds himself with a large crowd in a remote place. And we talked about this a number of weeks ago. And he has compassion on them, and he says, why don't you guys feed them? How many loaves do you have? This time, they had seven loaves, and they were able to feed 4,000 people. And the last time, they had five loaves, and they were able to feed 5,000 people, which makes me wonder if Jesus can do more with less. It's kind of an interesting thought in God's economy. He seems to be able to work more with less, and he uses the small things to do great things. He uses the lesser to do greater. Uh, I think it's just a principle we can extract from that. Um, How many loaves do you have? So he does this miracle, and they get back into the boat, and, uh, and they start kind of having some anxiety about not bringing any bread. Didn't we, have, didn't we pick up like a bunch of basketfuls of bread, and now we're in the boat, and nobody has any bread? What are we going to do? And they're starting to talk about this, and Jesus brings up his question, are you, why are you talking about having no bread? <laughs> did, did you see what I just did there? <laughs> Why are you talking about this? And then he asks a lot of other questions. Jesus asking the disciples, the disciples in the boat questions like this, do you still not see or understand? And we know, we know that word sight. Sometimes it is just literally seeing, but there's a lot more to that word sight. Do you see, do you see what I'm saying is what some people say. Do you see what I'm saying? Does it, does, it, does it resonate with you? Can you feel it? Is it moving you? Is it changing you? Do you see? 
Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? And sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder if he's just frustrated. Like literally, are you not, did you not just see seven loaves, 4,000 people? Did you not just hear what I said? Seven loaves, 4,000 people. Do you still not understand? And they get out of the boat. It says, we're going we're gonna to pick up this story in, and, uh, in verse 22. It says they get out of the boat in a town called Bethsaida. And uh, let's pick up the story there. It says they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man. A blind man. Now, just real quick, if Jesus is asking this guy if he sees anything, And they begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, just stay with me, and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, let's just rewind just a little bit here. Um, Jesus shows up in Bethsaida, which that word Bethsaida means um, the house of fish or the fish house um, in Hebrew. And Jesus isn't a huge fan of the house of fishing. He's not a big Uh, In Matthew, in another gospel, in chapter 11, verse 21, he says, Woe to you, house of fishing, or Bethsaida. Uh, If the miracles that were performed in you were performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented, but you did not, you know? And it's like, I'm out. You know, man, if these other cities had seen what you saw and what what you've seen, they would have got it. They would have seen it. They would have actually seen it. And of course, in the boat with his own disciples, he's having to say, do you have eyes but don't see? Do you have ears but can't hear? He lands in Bethsaida, and some people bring to him a blind man. And uh, we don't have the backstory on them and their friend, uh, but you can just imagine this blind man's friends, right? Uh, Hey, we're going to take you to Jesus and beg him to touch you. And he's probably like, uh, that's great, but people touch me all the time and they have to lead me around. I'm blind. We're going to beg him to touch you. What about like restore my sight? Could you beg him to do that? The, in- the interesting thing is that word touch, uh, the word therapy comes from the word touch, the word healing. There is this, there is this correlation between touch and healing. And they're thinking, ah, we, we'll see. We'll see. We think it'd be great if he'd just touch you. So they bring him to Jesus, and that part they get right for sure. Bringing people to Jesus throughout the scriptures always works out well for most people. <laughs> Jesus takes him by the hand, and immediately he touches him, takes him by the hand, and then what does he do? He leads him out of the village. He doesn't really like Bethsaida for some reason. And it's probably because the people won't repent. So he takes him outside of the village, 
by the hand. And technically, he's already fulfilled his friend's requests. He's already touched him. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He then proceeds to spit in his eyes. Just wrap your minds around that for a moment. We're going to take you to Jesus, and we're going to beg him to touch you. They take you to Jesus. You're being led outside the village. Jesus stops. He turns and spits in your face. I, you know, I have no idea. I'm, I'm just thinking like, you're, if you're this guy's friends and you're kind of walking behind and you're witnessing all this, you're like, dude, <laughs> like that was weak. He didn't even see it coming. You know, it's like, you have, you have a chance to like dodge this thing. I don't know if it was Jesus' test to see if the guy was really blind. If you're really blind, you're going to move, you know, like... I'm going to show everybody here that this guy is definitely blind. I'm going to spit right in his face. <laughs> if he doesn't flinch, you know he's blind. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, if I'm this guy's friends, like, that's just mean. Like, the guy's already blind. He's just going to spit in his face. And in my, you know, in most cultures, if you go and spit in someone's face and lay your hands on them, that's like a felony offense. You know, that's like, put that guy in jail. The guy spit in my face and started to lay his hands on me. You're like, arrest him. <laughs> and then he asks him our question, do you see anything? Now, at this point, we have no idea what the guy must have been thinking, right? Jesus led me out of the village, spit in my face, spit in my eyes, and now he's asking me if I see anything. You know, I have decent vision, and I'm having a hard time seeing on this one, Jesus. <laughs> what, do you, what do you got going here? Do you see anything? And the guy says, well, I see people like trees walking around. Do you see anything? Because here's, here's the thing with Jesus. It, it just takes a glimpse. It just takes a little bit of hope, and he can start working with that. Can you see me just a little bit? We can work with that. Do you see anything? Do you see me moving? Yeah, I see like trees. They look like people look like trees walking around. Do you see anything? I can work with that. I can work with that. I want to heal you. I want to show you a better way of living. Because so far, it seems like nobody sees anything. You guys have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. Do you see anything? I see people. They look like trees. Well, that isn't right, Jesus is thinking. <laughs> Let me try this again. <laughs> I love how Jesus just has this amazing ability to rearrange people's biology. Isn't that fun? What an amazing scientist he was. What an amazing biologist. Incredible doctor who understood the human body better than anyone. So he puts his hands on him again. And the guy's sight is restored and he begins to see everything clearly. 
Now, sometimes I think we have areas in our lives where we can see something, but we don't have the full picture. Things are still a little blurry for you, and we need that second touch. And sometimes I think we've been given a glimpse, we see a little something, but we deny it, or we stuff it down. No, I don't see anything. Now, if you went complete darkness to seeing people walking around like trees, that's something. That's a lot. But some of us, Jesus reveals himself in our wounds and in our pain, and yet we just choose not to see it. I don't see anything. But when you do choose to see it, when you do choose to look and understand, oh, I can work with that. Let's keep moving. You need a second touch. I want to read a little story from uh, my man C.S. Lewis. This is, comes from one of the Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, it's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. If you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis or the Chronicles of Narnia, um, where have you been? You know, <laughs> come on. <laughs> There's movies and everything. I don't know what to do for you. No. But Narnia, Narnia is this magical place where creatures talk, magical and mythical. And there's this great figure, this great lion called Aslan, who is this Christ-like figure in the middle of the story. And in this story, I love how it starts. There's these children that always get swept into this world. And in this story, they're swept in through a painting onto a ship. And I love the first line of this book. It starts out with, there once was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. <laughs> Poor guy. Scrub is your last name. Brutal enough. And then Eustace, I've never met a Eustace. Um, so in this book, Eustace finds himself on one of these islands, and he finds himself wandering into a cave and discovers a dragon's hoard of treasure gold and all these beautiful treasures, and he puts on a bracelet, and eventually he falls asleep on the hoard of treasure. And of course, as you know, if you sleep on a dragon's hoard, what happens? You turn into a dragon. So Eustace turns into a dragon, but he still has that tiny human-sized bracelet on his giant dragon arm, and it causes him incredible pain. And he's been a dragon for a while now. And this is him kind of recounting his story because the real story is how he becomes a boy again. And the way it happens is one evening, he doesn't know if it's a dream or if it was real. He was led out of the, he was, he was greeted by the great lion and he was afraid of the lion. Now, if you're a fire-breathing, flying dragon, I'm assuming there's not a lot of things that you're afraid of and yet he felt this sense of fear and respect like the lion could tear him apart. And the lion, what he does is he leads him out of the cave. I love this because it just correlates to the story what I'm th in my mind so well. He leads him away from the temptation, up, on, up the mountain to a, a beautiful pool, a well, and he feels like if I could just get in there, it would ease the pain of my arm. Well, before he steps in the water, the lion, of course, uh, stops him and tells him that he needs to undress first. 
It's like spitting in someone's face. Um, I'm a dragon. I'm not really wearing anything. <laughs> Just me, the dragon. And then he has this thought, oh, dragons can shed their skin. And he realizes that reptiles do that. They shed their skin. And so he begins to scratch his, his scales off. And so I want to pick up the story here. It's going to take about three minutes to read through this. So, so bear with me. Settle in. If, if you want to close your eyes and imagine you're, you're there at the pool with the giant dragon and the, the lion. This is Eustace telling the story to his friend Edmund. And then I scratched a little deeper. And instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully. Like it does after an illness or as if I was a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it there lying beside me, looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling, so I started to go down into the well for my bath. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, said I. It only means I had another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'll have to get out of it too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully. And out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the, other t the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty dear, near desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, like if you've ever picked at a scab, it hurts like, oh, but it's such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, smooth and soft as a peeled twig and smaller than I'd ever been. And then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd had no skin on. And threw me into the water. It hurt like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. Love that story. See, sometimes we need people to bring us to Jesus. And we need him to lead us out of that place of pain, that place of temptation perhaps, that place of addiction. And we need Jesus to ask us, do you see anything? And sometimes it might hurt. It might feel humiliating 
like having your face spit in, or tearing through the very fabric of your being to get down to that real center of who you are made in His image that He wants to reveal and heal and restore. Because ultimately, Jesus wants to bring healing, and He wants to restore everything. And so he keeps asking these questions along the way as he's doing this. Do you not understand? Do you have eyes but you don't see? Do you have ears but you don't, you don't hear me? Do you see anything? Do you see anything? Are you so hard-hearted? And I think when we say, yeah, I I see something. Do you need a second healing touch? Do you need a second healing touch? Perhaps you see people walking around like trees. There's hope. There's hope. Some scholars believe that this man in the story went through a process of belief. That, That Bethsaida, the house of fishing, was so unbelieving that he had to get him out of that village. And actually in the story he says, don't even go back to the village, just go home. Don't go back to the village, keep reading. Just go home. Sometimes we gotta get out of there. And so part of the process was, I'm gonna spit in his eyes, still don't know what was happening there. I'm gonna touch him. Do you see anything? I see something. When you see something, That's something to work with. Oh, he's starting to believe. We touch him again. I see clearly. I see clearly. Do you see anything? I think there's a lot of times when we try to do things on our own power. Right? It's the peeling off of the three skins, the three layers at first. We're trying to do it on our own power, and it's not working. And what is he? He just surrenders. He's like, so I just laid down on my back. A very vulnerable position, even for a dragon. (laughs) I just laid down on my back and let him go to it. And it hurt like nothing else. But afterwards, he was fully restored. See, I think all around especially just what you saw this morning, are evidences of God's grace, God's mercy, God's healing, God's restoration. It's right in front of our eyes. Do you see anything? (laughs) Did you see anything? And I think what Boog and Steph are, are asking that same question is, we know you saw something, and we want to talk about what you saw because we can work with that, because there's hope there. Jesus can do some amazing work with what you saw. You saw something, I know you did. We talked about it, you told us about it. You experienced something, somebody moved. The evidence is everywhere. In Psalm 19, the psalmist writes, the heavens declare 
the glory of God. The heavens, just so you know, is from the bottom of your feet up. That's the heavens. It's all around you. A friend of mine likes to say, sometimes I forget that, like, when I park my car in a parking lot, I just parked my car on a planet in outer space. <laughs> <laughs> like, I forget the wonder of it all, that we are living in the heavens. <laughs> like, if you were standing on Mars, you'd be like, what planet is that over there? <laughs> what are those things doing on that planet? We are on a planet in outer space moving at thousands of miles an hour. And they declare the glory of God, and it says the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So we're going to enter into a time of singing again and praising. And I want you to think for yourself, do I see anything? I mean, you just, I, I sit in this area sometimes, and sometimes I'm just like, I'm looking right out there at the water and the little boats going by and the people paddleboarding. And I'm, it's everywhere. You just have to turn to the person next to you. It's everywhere. The handiwork is all around you. And it's beautiful. Do you see anything? Is there anything that testifies to God's power, to his desire to heal, to his glory? And where is it in your life that you need that second healing touch of Jesus to come in and restore? If you see anything, there's hope. And if you don't see anything, I'm going to pray right now that you begin to have your eyes opened. I don't know what that's going to take. Sometimes it takes some very painful things and sometimes it takes some humiliating things. You know, there's a story in the scriptures of a woman who was suffering from an issue of bleeding, and she got through the crowd and was able just to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, and she was healed like that. I wonder if the blind guy was like, hey, what about, like, could we do that process? <laughs> if you're feeling out of shape, ill in any way, come touch the hem of my garment. Or I can lead you outside the city and spit in your face. <laughs> go with the first option. Uh, do you see anything? Do you see anything? Anything at all? Because we can work with that. Okay? I'm going to ask the ushers to come up and, and take the offering as we move into worship. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Lord, I, I don't know how it could be more obvious than our brother Boog standing in front of us this morning with his beautiful family and proclaiming your glory and your power in their own lives from death to life. Lord, remind us that the whole of the New Testament that you've given us is all about from death to life. Here and now. Lord, may we be open with soft hearts to your presence that's everywhere, to your kingdom that is all around but is hidden.
hidden in the faces of those that we love and those that we despise, hidden in the ocean, in the sunsets and the sunrises, in the trees and the rocks, in the carburetors, in the computers and the cell phones. It's all around. Open our eyes to it, Lord. Help us to see something. Give us a glimpse of the hope that you offer. In the wonderful sounds of a baby. It's all around, Lord. May we embrace it, the beauty of it all. New life. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.